Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we are interviewing an author. Would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Hannah Abigail Clark. I use they, them, and sometimes he, him, and she, her pronouns. And thank you for being here with us today. So we're going to we're gonna start out as normal with our spoiler-free section. So if anyone uh, is interested in specific book uh, specific book related questions about the scapegracers we will get into that in our second half but first can you tell us a little bit about your book yeah so the scapegracers is the first book of a trilogy and it is about a dirtbag teenager named Sideways, who's just a <laughs> weirdo lesbian who likes the occult and has no friends and is offered $40 to do some magic tricks at a Halloween party by the popular girls trademark. Uh, and they actually make magic happen and they make a little coven and then nonsense ensues for a couple hundred pages. Excellent. So uh, our podcast is about fictional depictions of trauma. Uh-huh. So right out the gate, can you talk a little bit about the way trauma works in your writing? So, like, even from a world-building level, the way I conceptualize relationships with power, um, literally and supernaturally, is very much tied up in personal trauma and collective trauma and cultural trauma. Um, Sideways is someone who is dealing with kind of unresolved grief, both from things that have happened in her life and also, like, the grief and loneliness of being a teenager who's queer in a rural space and feeling alone, um, you know, compounding cultural traumas of being a queer person, particularly if you're in an unwelcoming space, can be hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would not be the first author to connect lowercase p power with uppercase <laughs> p power by any stretch. But I, I think that saying that these things aren't connected to traumas, you know, like there's very much a link there. Pardon my lack of articulation. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little bit related to that question. Um, but so with with power being inherently connected to trauma in in your world building, do you feel that trauma for the sake of trauma is a valid thing for characters to go through or be put through in stories, or in your world, in your world building, does it always need to be plot related? Do you ever just have something happen, even if it doesn't connect to the actual plot? I mean, I I wonder where those lines are, because Sideways' life is the plot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I, I don't think I would be inclined, personally, to write like a a trauma porn scene where a character is undergoing something just for sake of like creating an emotional response from the audience. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because whatever I do to these characters is going to remain with these (laughs) characters. Therefore, you know, I have to be a little thoughtful or a lot (laughs) thoughtful about what sort of things I encounter, but you know, like there probably could have been instances of casual homophobia in this book that didn't, strictly have to be there for the plot arc to progress the way it does but that's not what being queer in the midwest is like you know right (laughs) like that's just uh somewhat the the birds outside of my window are being incredibly loud it's just a somewhat um unpleasant constant low burn trauma that one is constantly undergoing in our culture 
being a queer person. So, you know, like, did I just do that to sideways to do that to sideways? I don't know. It just seems like something that would happen to sideways. Okay. Has a traumatic event in your books ever changed your perception of a character? Um, in what way? Um, well, like, uh, sometimes, um, sometimes authors will not, will, like, I don't know, like, realize that they want something to be in it, or they'll they'll think something new about the character, or go in a different direction, having written some traumatic thing. Or you... <sighs> Or, or let's say you you write something and you think you know how that character is going to interact with it or react to it, and then you write it and realize that that's actually not what's going to happen. No, I mean it might be part of not- the way I plan books that some things sneak up on me, but rarely do they. However, okay, there is a thing that happens to sideways at a certain point in the book. After which point, and throughout the rest of the series, Sideways has an adverse reaction to a thing that reminds her of that thing, um, which I can bring up again in the spoilery section. But We um, are absolutely planning to ask you about that in the spoilery <laughs> <yeah>. section. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I put Sideways through some shit in this book. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like, it's... what I don't know if it surprises me, but yeah, like, if something happens to a character they're either going to deal with that or they're going to loudly not deal with that and that matters to who they are and the way they navigate their world so with regards to loudly or not dealing with things how do you decide what a character's reaction is going to be while you're writing them yeah, is um, it is it purely based off of like the personality you've given them, or is it just like how do you how do you kind of quantify and decide that? I mean, part of it is reflective of what specifically they've experienced, but okay, like there are two different characters in this book who have somewhat overlapping traumas who deal with it in very different ways, right? Like, characters deal with grief very differently (laughs) in this book. And I think, like, part of that is just making a cast with dynamic and differentiated personalities. But another part of that, I think, is that, like, if I'm interested in exploring human affect and reactions to things that are painful, like, I find it disingenuous to believe that everyone would have the same response to it hell i don't have the same response to all of my own stuff (laughs) like even on a day-to-day basis so giving characters particularly like really showy um kind of affectively charged responses even though i think perhaps that is something we're used to seeing in books that's not how everyone responds right like (laughs) repression exists (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah so I I don't know how much I decided to do both, or that's just sort of how it happened, but it was cognizant on some level. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, because there's definitely something I, I really I noticed about this book as I was reading it that's not true with, with every book, is that each character, their responses definitely feel individual. Um, and, and I've read, I've read a lot of books where 
every character does the same thing. Every character represses until somebody says something they get upset about and then they're angry and then it comes out that they're actually dealing with this other thing. And it's every character. <laughs> and it makes it, it doesn't make it feel disingenuous necessarily, but it does, it definitely makes it feel very predictable. Um, but reading through your book, there was no sense of where, like, like I could not assume that I knew how anyone was going to interact with something, which was really cool. And it, it made everybody feel very individual and very, very unique. I started to get a sense of how Daisy was going to react to a lot of stuff. Yeah. But that's because Daisy had a distinct way of reacting that was different from the other characters. And it stuck out in a way I could anticipate. <laughs> I love Daisy. Because it wasn't the same as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. She's um, a piece of work and I love her. Yeah. So you'd mentioned a little bit um, queerness and Midwestern queerness. And when you're depicting types of queerness that you do not share, mm-hmm. um, do you check those with members of those communities or what do you use to guide those depictions? I mean, part of it is I almost exclusively speak to queer people in my day-to-day life. so <laughs> That's uh, relatable. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, there there is some amount of checking with people who I know in real life and then also checking online resources. There are lots and lots of blogs of human beings who are articulating particularities about their way of being a human being, specifically for authors, and also just human beings who have blogs themed around an aspect of their personhood. You know, so one peruses those resources, one speaks to the people they know in real life. I could very feasibly write something wrong, and Mm -hmm. if that is ever the case, all I can do is listen and try to do better the next time. I think particularly with queerness, like, I was writing experiences that I am pretty familiar with in the lived sense. Like, I know a lot of gay men. I know a lot of bisexual women. I know... Oh, first book. All right. We'll leave it there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Come back to that later. Yeah. 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 Ask me about that after we stop recording. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll leave it there. Sure. How do you actually approach incorporating visible queerness in your work? Oh, God. I I mean, ooh, where's the politic way to start this? I think that one can feasibly write, I'm choosing my words carefully. I think that one can feasibly write, uh, let's say, FF, right? Like a in a way that very much flags characters as being queer and in a way that kind of doesn't, right? Um, which is to say, like, I'm really interested in telling stories about people who are very much aware of their queerness and the fact that that impacts their life. And I mm-hmm. think you can totally write about characters who are in the alphabet soup who like it's really not a part of their life and that's fine and i think that those stories are also valuable but i just don't see myself writing any um and like again like part of it is that my entire social circle essentially is queer um mm-hmm. 
but it's, you know, like I, I try to be mindful about the way I talk about the gender of strangers to a certain extent modulated for the fact that sideways isn't going to be perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. There are lots of queer people around sideways, even when she doesn't realize it because that's how queer people work. We flock to each other. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have a tangentially related question that isn't necessarily about this particular book, um, but purely because I'm curious. Um, It's also not one we had on our list. (laughs) Um, but because you had, you had thought, you had talked about, um, like having queer people that are, are conscious of being that way. Um, do you have a thought process on approaching ace or aloe characters only because I'm, I'm asking because for myself, a, a define, I know this isn't true of everyone, but a defining piece for me of that thing that kind of made me realize that that was a thing was realizing that other people do think about this and that I just don't. <laughs> and it's, and I, I'm just curious because a lot of the media representation and a lot, but not all of the book representation that you see out there, kind of the defining characteristic of those characters is that, that is that they'll, they just don't care and it's just not part of their story. And then somebody else asked the, the the authors or the publishers or the producers later and they kind of get a response of oh yeah this person fits that identity which is why they don't think about it is is there a a a way that you have kind of planned or how you think about approaching those characters or or not really okay for clarity is the question about characters who don't think about their sexuality or their um no, just characters who are who are ace or um who are arrow. who are asexual who are ace or arrow. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't claim cognizant representation for ace characters at least in the first book. Um mm-hmm. like that's a thing where if a person wanted to headcanon that like go the hell ahead, but I wouldn't <laughs> be able to claim having put any in cognizantly. But because I'm not ace I would imagine that I would ask ace people how they wanted me to do it. Yeah, because the process of self-discovery might look very different than how it looked for me. And that it didn't really look away from me because I've kind of always known I'm queer. The world bestowed that upon me. Um, And I I think that it's not exclusively the case with ace and arrow characters either, right? Like a lot of people don't really think about the structure of their gender or the structure of their sexuality until they're made aware that, hey, X thing is an option for you. And then you're like, oh, shit, there's language. Whoa, cool. And then they can explore resources related to that thing, right? Like, it's an experience that at least has been regaled to me um, by people of a couple of different identity boxes, if we want to conceptualize it in that very narrow way um but yeah i would i would ask because it is outside of my own purview i'm not ace and therefore i'd probably ask okay yeah like i i think that there are probably at least from what i understand a couple of different queer positionalities one can inhabit where the language might not be immediately obvious and Mm -hmm. one is not brought up with the idea that that could even be like a positionality that one inhabits Mm. which means that like your whole process of 
like self-conceptualization as a queer person is just going to look really different from mine, which means that I would probably ask people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair. That, that, that makes sense as an answer. Um, yeah. Like, like I said, I was, I was mostly just curious because um, it, it makes sense to have like, especially the characters you've written be super cognizant of that part of themselves but it was definitely something where, like, reading your book, my brain went, wow, this isn't how I approach life at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was I was just, you know, I was curious because it's just different. Yeah, I mean, hyper-visibility and invisibility are just different edges of the same tool of social creation, right? That makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> yeah. I just happened to be somebody who was anointed dyke from the window of a truck. in rural ohio from the age of 12 onward you know yeah that makes sense sorry our uh our senior assistant editor is weighing in her opinion from the hallway Um, boys (laughs) uh she wants me to go downstairs because she wants to hang out in the sunshine but that's not where my computer is (laughs) so um Pivoting to a different aspect of identity, Mm -hmm. do you tend to write um, people of color based on a specific background or color? Like, what's what's your uh, sorry? Can we? (laughs) I I read the wrong question. We're going to read that one, but not yet. Um, (laughs) Oh, what is your approach to incorporating visible colors of visible characters of color in your work, and what do you do to make it go beyond social coding or not? I mean. Gates is black and Jing is Chinese American. And I, that's pretty explicit. Um, mm-hmm. Sideways is white. I think I probably could have done more to make that explicit. Um, same with Daisy. And that, like, if I was writing the book now, as opposed to, God, when I was 19, yeah. I probably would have done more to make that explicit and not let whiteness be kind of a generic floating absence you know again like i try to do research both in person and online and i try to write compassionately empathetically and if i screw up then i'll listen and try to do better you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah cool have have you had a character surprise you with their appearance or identity after you started writing um I feel like the or way it, it, this could be too. This could be like if they were a headcanon of of being something specifically in your head, and then you got feedback from someone uh, that they assumed they were white or that they assumed they were something else. That then that you changed to be more explicit. This counts for this question also. Oh, I mean, it might be that like if I am trying to flag a character as like any given thing, and that thing does not come across. And mm-hmm. a beta reader tells me, like, this thing is obs- unclear or ambiguous, then, yeah, I probably will. Like, if I wanted whatever thing it is to be ambiguous for whatever reason, which it doesn't really apply to this mm-hmm. question, but I guess more broadly, I might try to obscure it more. Or I'll just call the character by whatever label. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I no, no, I think that de- that definitely does count for this question, even if it's... You know, not exactly the wording we were asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that definitely counts. Um, yeah, because I I know it's it's kind of 
you know, every, every once in a while as a reader, you, you have a character and you have kind of an image in your head and then you find out that they're, they're not quite that image and, and, or the author had a, a different intent or a different picture of them. And I mean, um, I imagine that a lot of people are going to picture sideways differently than how I picture sideways. Mm-hmm. Most of which I'm cool with, right? Like you're the reader, picture whatever you want. Yeah. But like particularly as the books progress, like I imagine that I will find myself in a position where people are conceptualizing sideways as not looking, not flagging herself visually or being flagged visually as a queer person, right? Like sideways is not the most gender conforming person in the world. Spoiler alert for the rest of the series, but that's not going to change. Um, right. Like if anything, sideways just gets progressively dikier as the books go on. <laughs> Um, and I imagine that there are going to be readers who are very used to picturing, like, uh, a certain cis heterosexual standard of femininity that they will just kind of automatically put on to sideways. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm not the brain police. You can picture whatever you want. It just doesn't match the text. And that can be like, vaguely annoying. Mm-hmm. Okay. What? Um- is your approach to incorporating characters with disabilities in your work? Um, I mean, like, I could probably have written more visible disability in Escape Gracers. There's not a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, characters certainly are mentally ill in Escape Gracers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but insofar as physical disability is concerned, I don't have a lot of visual like textual representation at least in the first book yeah like that's probably something that i could have thought about more thoughtfully when i wrote it but i'm not gonna invent something here to claim that isn't actually textual oh yeah we wouldn't well yeah not asking you to do that (laughs) yeah no well i mean and and even even saying well i i would say like even the I would say even saying that, you know, you, you don't have as much or you, or you don't have that approach yet. I mean, that, that's still, that, that still makes sense as an answer. Especially, cause you kind of stated before that like, like really everything in this book is about sideways. Yeah. And so, you know, depending on, on how much she's interacting with characters that do or don't have something as far as disability is concerned, or even how much she's aware of it can make that a a very different, very different book. Yeah. I mean, like there's chronic illness in the book. Yeah. Which definitely Um, counts. Yeah. For, for this question. I mean, Julian's HIV positive. Like it's a, it's a very little line in the first book, but like, there's a bit where Boris is like, I'm going to pick up your dad's medication. Do you want anything at the store? You know, but the fact that he is HIV positive is kind of like a, at this point of his life, not a super loud <laughs> facet of him, right? Like, it's it's the condition mm-hmm. he lives with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it doesn't take up space in Sideways' mind as being, like, the most remarkable thing about him because it's not. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Princess really wants you to know how she feels about this. <laughs> Looking for one last question to put in the spoiler-free half. Oh, um, 
let's actually I'm gonna ask a, actually ask you a question about uh just your character conception in general. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Do you consider your character's body image or physical description when you're depicting them and their traumas, or when you're writing how other characters treat them? Mm, how so? Their body image in terms of how, like, how they see themselves, ah, okay. or what they physically look like. Either one. Um, I mean, sideways. I don't know if this is quite to the effect of what you're asking, but Sideways definitely thinks about the fact that she's physically bigger than the other scapegracers mm-hmm. from time to time. And I think, like, it also could be said that other characters read Sideways as being intimidating physically. Yeah. Um, so part of the way that they treat her is very much like, um, influenced by the fact that some of them read her as kind of scary (laughs) um which is both like actually more than anything it's the way she carries herself and Mm -hmm. the way she dresses and the fact that she's like is a weirdo who lugs around a big spell book and reads things last (laughs) well and there's also some scenes you've also have some descriptions of like her thinking about them and letting them do things or have letting them like like mess with her or touch her and stuff when she's like you know i could make them stop mm-hmm. but they're like the size of my hand mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'll hurt, and like i don't want to hurt them and there's i don't know it's i think uh it it seemed it, it seems like that might have played into this yeah too, i guess as a reader i think she at least from from my vantage Sideways is someone who kind of hyperinflates the difference between herself and the other scape racers. Mm-hmm. Like she, I mean, Sideways is a dramatic person. <laughs> I think she overinflates the difference between herself as like big, bad, scary, tough Sideways, and like often I think misreads the scape racers as being. I mean, Sideways has to kind of get over some internalized misogyny in this book (laughs) about, like, the Mm -hmm. way she reads them. Yeah. Uh, Because she reads them with a bunch of, like, kind of tropey ways we're taught to read, like, feminine teenage girls, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially with how she thinks about them when she's just getting to know them and, like, Mm -hmm. is, like, flashing back to her, her own preconceived conceptions like yeah she has some very very stereotypical uh thoughts about them yeah she does and she mostly gets over them or two more books um yeah like she she has to deal with her own preconceived notions of who these girls are and what they're like and what they mean what what them being like means for her and what she's like because you know like while a lot of the stuff that she thinks about them is very much like distorted. They were also not great to her before <laughs> the book started. Yeah. <laughs> um, like yeah. some of it is inflected by the fact that they were either complicit in or actively kind of shitty to her. So, which uh, like in teenage brain can sometimes lead to inflating stereotypes that were preexistent and easy to access. So for outro, uh-huh. uh, items 
Do you have a favorite book written by someone else? And if so, what makes it your favorite? Uh, singular favorite? Well, you can have more than one. <laughs> most recent that comes to your mind. We're not obliging you to champion this book till the end of time, but just what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what is something that is. I mean, I'm someone who has like a most recent favorite, which. Or it keeps could be being, the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> keeps or, being or if you have like four or five that you just can reread forever and you will love forever, like. We are compl- We would love to have four to five or even ten <laughs> book names to, to add on here. Um, <laughs> so, okay. First, most recent faves. Um, I enjoy Burn Our Bodies Down by Rory Power, which is also like a lesbian in rural space YA. Very creepy. Into it a lot. I enjoyed Cinderella is Dead. Uh, that one's really fun. I enjoyed... Uh, Girl Serpent Thorn, which I just got. That was a great book. I like Ruthless Gods, which is a sequel to Wicked Saints. I like Gideon the Ninth because I'm a lesbian, um, which sounds flip, but actually it's really not. Um, like, that's probably one of the only books in existence that I can think of that has come into my hands anyway with a butch protagonist, um, which as a butch person is important. Um, mm-hmm. oh boy, I'm really excited for the year of the witching. It hasn't come out yet. Haven't got my hands on a copy yet, but it's on the top Soon. of the list. <laughs> Soon. Um, I liked the song of Wraith and Ruin. Wraith, Wrath and Ruin. Uh, yeah, I like those a lot. Nice. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to leave it there. Cool. I, my copy of Cinderella is Dead had better be in the mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Um, so, uh, do you have any queer authors or authors of color whose work you'd like to just, like, shout out or or recommend to our audience? Everything I just said. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, And, uh, did we, did we ask about your, your favorite non-traumatic thing in your books? Oh, my favorite non-traumatic thing in the books. I really like when they go to the movie theater before the trauma happens. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, horror is horror movies and horror camp is like weirdly really important to me um and i just really like shitty like you guys might know kind of the the theater i was thinking of um because i was thinking of a particular theater uh i particularly enjoyed the do you really care about our ideas you know you don't it's this town (laughs) like that that uh i've had that experience (laughs) yeah um yeah I, i love really intensely weird little spaces that have their own like pocket universe energy and which which means that i really enjoy that and um like i like the delacroix house a lot i also like it's uh, the the flashback scene where sideways like regales information about her mother and getting her spell book for the first time is a traumatic scene but nonetheless i really like it yeah Okay. I really enjoyed your descriptions of the snacks. <laughs> I snacks are so important in general. <laughs> food is important. I'm a big believer in like over describing food scenes, underutilized sensory device and character beat device. Even though Sideways eats meat and I don't, so there were occasionally things that Sideways was like really into that I'm like, this is gross. Um, <laughs> we forgive her. So, uh. Obviously, we have uh, the book, The Scapegracers, which 
by the time this interview is released, the book is out. Go get the book. Um, Wild. Do you have any additional pluggables that you would uh, like? You can say them here, and we will also put them in the show notes for the episode. Oh, when is this going up? This is going out on the release date for your book. Oh, boy. Um, oh, that's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. If all goes well. <laughs> so we definitely will not release it earlier than that. We can wait if you would like us to. Uh, release date is fine. Okay. I will have events, but the events are still being planned. Mm-hmm. So do you have a website? Because that I might have, have a website. Events. Yes. Excellent. What's that? It's hannahabigailclark.com. And where can people find you on social media? Do you have any, do you have a, a Twitter handle you would like to plug? <laughs> I have a Twitter and it is Saffomancer. And one could feasibly find my bullshit there. One was so inclined to do so. Wonderful. And for our, is it the same as your, it's the same as your Discord handle, right? Uh-huh. I, I know what it is. <laughs> I know, but our, our audience does not. Uh, so just for anyone looking, it's F it's S A P P H O M A N C E R. Yes, Sappho as in lesbian poet, Manser as in doer of magic, yes. Oh I didn't even put that together, but that's that's actually really good. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a parody of myself. I'm over here like how else would you spell Sappho Manser? <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are other ways. And it could have Fs. It could. It could have. It did not. I suppose it could, yeah. I could I could be right. doing a dialect thing where I put a P in front of the S in Sappho. True. And you don't have to have two Ps, technically. Yeah. It could just be PH. There's there's options. Yeah. Could but be in we'll Greek. have we'll have <laughs> right. those links we'll have the we'll put that website and Twitter link in our show notes. So if you are partaking in this episode, you can check there. And uh any last thing you want to say before we go thanks for having me on thank you so much for joining us this was a good time good Good. we're glad excellent uh so uh thank thank you for for showing up uh, tuning in to another one of our interviews with authors you can find our regularly scheduled episodes fortnightly at um books that burn just everywhere uh you can listen to you can find more of our episodes in whatever feed you originally found this and we also have transcripts for some of our episodes those are at transcripts that burn.com you know what i'm sitting here and i realize that we never talk about the burn book character and i'm on a podcast called books that burn oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's, um, you want to that'll say be something? a nice little tidbit for uh, our listeners to go read about in your book. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a literal burn book character. There's a literal burn book character. My favorite fucking character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for being with us. Okay. All right. Go ahead and hit stop. <laughs> okay.